It's time to ignite your soul and unlock your full potential. Join us on Beneath the Helmet, the podcast exploring firefighters' health and wellness. Hosted by retired fire chief Arjuna George, our podcast is the perfect place to start your journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. So come on, let's join the conversation and find out what sets your soul on fire. All right, everyone, welcome back. I got a very special episode today. I get a unique opportunity to have an interview with three individuals who are involved in this amazing new documentary coming out October 3rd. I got a chance to connect with Keith Hanks, who many of you may know from the first spawner world. He's a firefighter. He's also been on my podcast and I've been on his podcast a few times. We've connected over the years, amazing individual who's definitely an advocate for first spawner mental health. I also got a chance to meet with Corey and Scott, producer, writer for this amazing documentary, First Responders in Crisis. This documentary will be released October 3rd, 2023. But as you'll see in this episode, there's a very special announcement that September 27th, which is tomorrow, today is the 26th of September, the 27th, there will be a, a pre-sale of this documentary, and this will be available on iTunes only. So iTunes only, September 27th, you can get a, a real special deal pre-sale on this on this amazing documentary. I had the privilege to watch this pre-release. Uh, it is very, uh, it's emotional. It's very uh, heart-centered. Uh, definitely, you, you feel what these first spawners went through. Um, and you also see that there's hope at the end of it, which I think is the most important part. So you'll see the tragedy that these individuals went through, but also how they're coping in today's life. So I hope you enjoy this interview with these three amazing individuals and be sure to check out this documentary once again, October 3rd being released officially, but pre-sale uh, on iTunes, September 27th, 2023. So I hope you enjoy this episode and until next time, stay well. I think my second fire was a fatal fire. That's 18 years old, getting off the truck. Didn't think any of it then, but I can still remember that day. It was a uh, four-year-old girl who was struck by a car. She was dragged 62 feet. Her whole family was there. Death, dismemberment, heartache. A routine day for us was somebody's worst day. You see bad accidents, and I'm not trying to be a tough guy. You try to get ready for it, but you never really are. This stuff will stay with you in your mind. Well, you're a firefighter. You're supposed to go out and help everybody. And the problem is, it's like, who helps us? I remember screaming, and I pressed it against my head. And I just pulled the trigger, and it clicked. Our mental health system is so broken, and it is even more broken for the first responder community. One-on-one -on -one should be to sit down and talk. We're gonna make sure everyone's okay, because you need to take care of the people that are taking care of everyone. All right, welcome back everyone. I got a very special episode on Beneath the Helmet today. I got the producers and one of the main characters, uh, characters, definitely a good name to represent Keith, uh, from First Responders in Crisis documentary that's coming out very shortly, I believe, this October. So we have Corey Moss, we have Scott, and we got Keith joining us this uh, this podcast episode. Welcome to the show, boys. And I uh, just want to start with maybe Corey, maybe just a quick little introduction of yourself and what brought you to... Uh, where you are today filming this documentary and uh, getting this out into the hands of first responders and the, and the world in general. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us on your podcast. Uh, it's an honor. We're excited to be talking about this film, uh, which comes out almost exactly a month uh, from today. And, um, you know, it's been a, a long journey for us. We shot this kind of at the tail end of COVID and, you know, it took a long time to put it together and find the right way to get it out to the world. So um, it's finally here and it feels good. I'm a writer, director, producer uh, here in LA. Um, 
I've been um, doing that for over 20 years. I've worked for places like MTV and AMC and um, some digital companies like Yahoo and Hearst and um, had my own company for about seven years. And um, we've made a bunch of scripted and unscripted projects. I've always been in the documentary space. I made my first documentary when I was a young 20 uh, something uh, working for MTV and and then Scott uh, and I have been working together on a few projects uh, in recent years. And uh, we met through a mutual love of football, of all things. And, uh, but also both uh, have a same, you know, a lot of same characteristics in, 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 the, uh, in the Hollywood business, just a, you know, a, a tremendous hustle, if you will. And um, so this is, uh, we, we worked on a few things together and, and a few years ago, um, Scott called me and said, uh, I saw this thing on my Facebook feed from someone I went to high school with, check it out. And it was something that Keith had posted. It was a really heartfelt post. And, um, you know, Scott said, I think there's something here and, and I agreed. So, um, we set up a zoom with Keith and, um, you know, kind of got heard his story and that was our entry point into the movie. Fantastic. Yeah, I was wondering how that connection happened there between you both of you and Keith. So that's, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, Scott, tell us a little bit yeah, about yourself. Um, yeah, appreciate, uh, obviously having us on, like Corey had mentioned. So my background, you know, I've been a, a pro college and high school football coach for almost 25 years. It's the acting world selling in my life. And I was coaching at Harvard and resigned out of the blue, drove out to LA, uh, probably about 18 years ago and have sort of never left, uh, Coached high school football out here while pursuing acting, uh, got into the producing world, and then most recently spent the last four years on the uh, football staff at UCLA um, while uh, working as an actor, a producer. Um, been lucky to be on some cool TV shows over the last couple of years and went to high school with Keith. Keith was a year behind me. Mm. And ironically, how this really, like Corey had alluded to, there was a post, but Keith had tagged me in a bullying post and I'm like, man, I don't remember bullying anybody, but I got to reach out to this guy because he just publicly tagged me in a bullying post and that's concerning to me. So I reached out, I said, Hey man, hope all is well. I just saw you tag me in a bullying podcast. You wanted to fill me in? Did I have a bad day? And he wrote back, he's like, no, he's like, actually, you were one of the only people that treated me like a human. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's. I'm just like sort of taken back by it. And then I sort of dove into Keith's story a little bit and then reached out to him. Like Corey said, Keith put together a little deal, sent it to me, and, and I was blown away by what he's gone through. And, you know, Corey and I had been doing some things and obviously respect uh, the way Corey handles his business, sent it to him, and he was like, there's something here. And um, the journey to get from that point to here was um, was a process. It was obviously very entertaining, uh, some highs, some lows, but, um, you know, one of the coolest things I've been a part of and, um, very excited for the world to see it. Well, that's quite the story. I'm glad it was a non-bullying post and you were one of Me the, the kind. <laughs> <human. laughs> yeah. I will say also, I'd like, um, you know, mental health has been a topic, I think for, you know, maybe the last decade or something. It always intrigued me, but it became very real in my life in the last few years. I watched a really close family member have a breakdown. Uh, I started having anxiety attacks and doing therapy for the first time. And I think like probably the four of us and uh, a lot of your audience, like there was a lot of stigma attached to things like therapy and, and, and even just admitting that you're struggling with something with mental health. So I think it was within me that I wanted to, you know, use my skill set to tell, uh, you know, an important story in mental health and, you know, the universe, you know, brought us keys. And, um, uh, so I'm really grateful for that because, you know, I think it's been a really, a really interesting way into this topic, um, you know, through first responders, but to me, the story is, uh, you know, it's bigger than that. It's just, it's. It's the fight, uh, for, for more awareness for, for mental health in, in, in general. So. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. That's, that's great. And that's the, that's what the whole object of your documentary, these podcasts, 
uh, the books out there. Yeah. It's about spreading that word and smashing that stigma and letting people talk about it more openly and without any, uh, shame attached to it. So our social media, eh, Scott, uh, it's all started from a social media. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, again, you know, it's, it's just so interesting. Um, you know, obviously where Keith and I are from, it's just a small town, uh, community. And I think that's what, you know, makes it even more enjoyable, you know, being able to go home in a couple of weeks to screen this for the people back home and bring Corey back to where Keith and I grew up. And I, I think that was, you know, one of the, the coolest things about filming it. Obviously there's some unbelievable people in this, but we ended this with a, with a dinner with everybody breaking bread and actually having human heartfelt conversations. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, I've been around the world and met a lot of people in the both professions I've been in, but, um, you know, to meet the people and the subjects of this documentary that Keith connected us with, I think the world will really truly connect with these folks and, and realize that, you know, there's no, um, you know, mental health, regardless of what form it comes in, it doesn't discriminate. And you're going to see just what appear to be very normal people, uh, going through some really tough times. So to be able to be around those people firsthand really opened my eyes to, like Corey said, I think we've all gone through some things, but when you're around people that have openly talked about it, you know, you, you really start to have some hope that this country, this world can be a better place by being around people that, you know, want to help um, and share some of the things they've gone through to change some other people's lives in a good way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Keith. We've had you on the show before. Our audience probably is familiar with you, but uh, maybe just a little snapshot and maybe uh, maybe cover how the spark started. So that that blog post, hmm. uh, the kind of the birth of this documentary. Yeah, it's been it's been a journey, you know that's for sure. And you know, uh, growing up in this in this world of you know fire and military, you know I, I knew I was destined to be on the job, you know, you know which I did. Uh, for 21 years uh, before, you know, my own PTSD, you know, basically crippled my career and I left, um, and, you know, and before I left the job, as you know, and, you know, Corey and Scott, no, I, I had already started advocating for, for, you know, mental health and getting the word out and being able to talk about this stuff. And, you know, the idea of doing a film never popped in my head. Matter of fact, when me and Scott really first started talking about this after the, the you know, that quote unquote bullying post. Um, and I will, I'll go on record. Scott was not a bully. Right. So anyone listening, Scott wasn't a bully. It was, it was, he, is now. he, wasn't he is now. Yeah. Yeah. High school, Definitely. high school. He wasn't now he's a pushy kind of guy, but, um, you know, honestly, I was like, Hey, can we make like an infomercial? I had no idea it would be like a film and to go from my roots and everything I had been through to thinking maybe we'll make like a you know a, a 60 second little snapshot video or something for people to watch to a full length feature film essentially um it was humbling and to be part of the production of it to see friends and family who are part of this uh people i've worked with over the years sit down and and, and talk about their darkest moments their most vulnerable moments in front of a camera knowing that this is going to get out in front of hopefully millions of people um it was an experience like you can't really describe it. it it's it's one of those like scott and Corey both said it's a human connection moment where i never thought i'd experience something like that and i did and i am so grateful for being part of that that to me alone makes this whole journey worth every minute of it the the waning i mean i always allude to you know i wasn't expecting it to take this long i wasn't expecting you know the wait 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 that comes with Hollywood stuff, but uh, it kind of the same as like EMS and, and fire. You wait, 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 and then all of a sudden there's a change, right? It's very, very similar to that. So that was sort of, uh, I was comfortable with that to a point, but uh, here we are, you know, in, in three weeks time, three and a half weeks time, we're going to be showing this back home, uh, you know, in our hometown, uh, honestly, and in the school that me and Scott both graduated from, which is, which is really cool. So this will be open to the public or is this to the school itself? Uh, it'll be open to the public. Yeah, we're mm. we're obviously obviously catering to first responders mm. uh, and their families, uh, but it will be open to the public. And you know, we got to iron out the details on how that'll be done. But it's a very big theater; uh, it holds quite a few people. Um, so we're we're hopeful to um, 
maybe not fill up the capacity, but definitely have a, a big crowd there so we can uh, get word out even more. Fantastic. Well, I am very, um, I wouldn't say excited. I would say happy that you posted that blog post uh, <laughs> a year ago or so, whatever that time was, and, and initiated and sparked this birth of this documentary because I truly feel that your story alone, as well as all the others, is going to make a, a huge impact in the, the community for sure. It's weird. It's weird how stars align. It, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, me and Scott have known each other probably 30 years now, and it's, we, we've never really been like pen pals, but uh, it's always been something where I, I think if 10 years ago I reached out to Scott, he would have answered the same on my end, and, and it just so happened to work out that, you know, this is where it got us. So it's, it's really cool. It's really a cool story. Very cool. Yeah, I think the timing of it was kind of serendipitous because um, obviously just with the post and how Scott and Keith reconnected, but the um, us being able to make the film, Scott and I both having availability in our schedules because of COVID, um, you know, it's a, a very intimate movie. So, you know, we had a crew of four, which is sort of unheard of for a documentary. Um, and, um, you know, um, so I think, you know, it was, a, it was kind of the perfect movie to, to do. I think people were um, feeling very isolated um, from having been in COVID for, you know, over a year at that point, um, or right around a year, I think it was, right when we shot. So, um, you know, I think, I think everyone was a little extra vulnerable in a good way. And, um, you know, I think that all contributed a bit to the, um, you know, to the powerful tone of the movie. Yeah, the vulnerability and the honesty that you probably saw, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I'd love to go like kind of behind the scenes. How was it to interact with these first spotters? How did you find them? Um, which ones did you select? What was the process going through that? And then maybe like how did that actual inf- uh, interview go uh, behind the scenes? Was it well, uh, t- on site? Did you bring people to you? you or know, did I, you? The, uh, you know, the original, uh, you know, entry point into this was Keith. And um, I think we knew right away that you know, anytime you do a documentary, you're going to do, um, you know, uh, most of the time, I should say, uh, you're going to bring in other sources to, um, you know, in, in a large effect to talk about your main, your main subject. Um, so it was, we were always going to interview a lot of people. Um, but I think we realized that, um, you know, these people have stories of their own. And so I think we found a way to keep Keith at the center of it, but also include everyone else's stories. And they're, they're a wide variety of people in a wide variety of stories. And I think, um, so, so in order to do that, we utilize Keith as the, um, the link to everyone. Uh, so, you know, we, he sent us a list of other people and we uh, started talking and figuring out who would be the best. And, and then it was sort of, you know, Keith helped us with the logistics of where we could sell people. And, um, you know, we wanted to obviously get people in their environment, go inside some, some firehouses and, and things like that. So, um, you know, it was, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to film and, uh, we needed to be, you know, really smart with our time, but it all worked out really well. Like, uh, we never felt rust. Um, you know, I think at the, at the end of the days we were emotionally exhausted because it's, you know, these interviews were not easy and we would do several in the day, but, um, you know, I, I love, I look back and I love the people that came together, um, on an our interview list, the characters, if you will. Um, and I don't think like we knew, you never know what if that's going to happen when you make a documentary or not. And, you know, obviously Keith is smart and media savvy, and I think he knew, um, you know, who would be good to put on camera and things like that. But we had no idea how good these incredible people would be. Very cool. Got Keith, anything to add to that? Or? I think, um, you know, it was definitely a task I, 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 was, I was ready for because I knew when it came down to having people talk about this, I knew who I wanted. Uh, but you know, like Corey said, it, it was, I, w- I wasn't prepared for what was said and it's what makes this so powerful 
And I mean, there is, there are parts where there is a lot of emotion, um, being portrayed by people who don't normally portray it. And especially in the public eye, uh, these are people, Arjuna, as you know, uh, and as Corey and Scott have begun to learn, uh, we are very stoic people and I've always been able to play that part to a T and even still today, there's times when people have no idea how to read me. And, uh, during the filming of this, a lot of people broke that barrier down. People showed true vulnerability, true emotions, and were honest with themselves on, you know, to be completely true in front of a camera, not knowing who's going to see this. Uh, it takes some great strength and a lot of people really came through. And I think I, I know these are all people from my life. I've talked to them over the past, you know, year and a half that we, since we began filming, uh, these are people who have made great changes in their life because of their moment in this film, people who realized that they needed to change things or they needed to work on things. And that hit them while sitting in that seat in front of a camera. And a lot of the people in this have, have improved their lives because of this opportunity. And that to me is incredible. Beautiful. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, just to, in the, we talk about, um, you know, people be, being willing to get vulnerable, especially men, right? It's, it's very hard to do mm. that. I think we've been taught that our whole lives. And, you know, I, I do some speaking now and I've talked to a lot of school administrators, coaches lately, and there's a huge fear factor around mental health, right? And, you know, uh, suicides, obviously, as adults and kids and just the, the things that people are going through today. And I think what this film can do, and, and I sort of go back and use the analogy of when we grew up, there was always a bully, right? And the only way to stand up or to, uh, to confront the bully was to punch him in the face, for lack of a better term. Stand up to the bully, make a stand. And I think... People don't know how to combat mental health and they're afraid of it. They want to just bring people in and check boxes and checking boxes doesn't help people. And I think this film, uh, I, I don't think there's anything more powerful, obviously, and, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but when a, when a grown man fights emotion on film, it's extremely powerful, whether it's a scripted film, whether it's a documentary. And I think this film sort of attacks the bully in the room when, you know, men and women get vulnerable. And I think. Yes, we, we interview all adults, but I think people of all ages, this film can bring um, awareness to how to at least start to combat mental health and to attack the bully and the elephant in the room, which I don't think the world knows exactly how to do. And there is some fear around it. And I think the, the subjects in this film give people a chance to take the first steps to get the play started on how to attack the mental health problem we have in this country. Yeah, I always, pretty much on every podcast I do, I always say that uh, vulnerability is a superpower. Hmm. And that's something that I've learned uh, personally in the last little while, that vulnerability is a superpower. And now I just kind of mention that. So people start to understand that it's it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength is to be vulnerable and open to others, right? So, Amen. Uh, Scott, this wasn't, uh, it just popped in my head now, but I'd love to, before we dig in too deep of other things, What's your thoughts on the fire service now versus football? Is, do you see any resemblance? Yeah, I mean, that's, any... a, that's a great question. I think, no. um, you know, both of them, it's a, it's a team atmosphere, right? I mean, obviously, you know, running into a burning building is a little different than running down a sideline. But, you know, I think the commonality is, you know, whether there's six, seven guys on a truck or 20 guys in, you know, uh, the firehouse. You have 22 guys on the field relying on the guy next to you to do their job. And, you know, obviously sports and, and life are very different where, you know, you run into a fire, you, you might not come out. Usually in football, you know, you, if somebody makes a mistake, you know, you, you play the next down. And, um, you know, I tell people football has given me everything I have in my life. And it's, it's, it's not the games you remember, it's the lessons and the people. And I think that's what, I mean, even some of these guys, you know, uh, that we interviewed, you know, they played for my dad, who was the local high school coach. So, you know, I was a little kid when they played and to see them now as grown men, um, you know, that, that, that was really cool. But I think that, you know, they're both, both situations, football and, and, and being a firefighter, you're relying on guys and girls next to you to do their job and to be there in some very rough times. And, 
Um, and that's what, you know, again, being out of football the last couple of years and being back there reminded me of being in a locker room, which, you know, you mm -hmm. can't put a price tag on that. Very cool. Yeah, I like that perspective. Thanks. It's true. <clears throat> so what were some of the, the biggest challenges you guys came across in producing this, filming it? Anything that kind of was the biggest challenge to you? you know, probably, you know, right away we lost, what, a sound guy or a film guy? I mean, you know, we're, we're in L.A. and we're trying to find people in Boston and where we shot is about an hour plus outside of the city. So, you know, we're talking a couple of days before we didn't even know if we were going to have a camera guy, a sound guy. We lost a sound guy, randomly found, uh, you know, a guy with a camera that knew what he was doing. I mean, you talk about the universe just bringing more people into our lives. But I think just the logistics of being 3,000 miles away, not knowing anybody in small town that has, you know, that could even do anything like that. Um, but to find, you know, the two guys that we had, you know, it was almost a miracle. Or yeah, you're saying was... you, had, you had four people in the, the crew? Is that is that a big documentary or is that a small documentary? Uh, it's very, four. very, very small. Scott and I, and we wore a ton of hats. And then, um, like he said, we brought in a couple of, of local guys who were fantastic. We even worked with our cinematographer since then on, on other projects. So, um, yeah, and I think, you know, uh, the uh, the other big challenge for this was putting it all together in um, the editing process. Um, we had hours and hours of, of you know, beautiful, you know, uh, heartwarming, challenging uh, interview footage. And, um, you know, how do we tell the story? And I think also like when you're uh, taking on a subject of this emotional test, you have to be careful that you don't just depress your audience to a point where they want to turn it off. Right. And, um, you know, I think we pushed the limits of that for the first two thirds of the movie. And, and I think really sort of built that, um, and then, you know, really made a conscious decision for the third act of the movie to show, you know, the, the happy ending, if you will, of, of, of our story, of the story of these men and women in Townsend and, and, and nearby Townsend is, and not necessarily that, um, everyone's jumping in the streets and having parades, but just that they've started to find ways to, to cope. And, and then we go through and there's little segments on, on each of those ways, whether it's meditation or, um, life coaching, or, um, you know, I, where the movie actually ends and, you know, my favorite stuff is um, Brian Moran's Hilltop Farm, where, um, you know, he opened so that first responders and um, retired first responders could come and just, you know, get out of their normal lives and come and be with animals and, and not a type of mental health treatment I had ever thought of, um, but wow, was it powerful to see and he brought his family up there and um, Brian Harkins, another one of our subjects brought his family up there. And, um, so, um, it was, a, you know, to me, it, it was a, a very, uh, fitting way to end the movie and, and, but it was, it was a challenge. I mean, it was definitely the most time I've ever spent on a movie in post-production, um, oh, wow. ever. Wow. So I, I think, you know, leading, <clears throat> excuse me, le leading up to it, getting all the people we interviewed to kind of sign on to do it. It was, was a challenge I wasn't ready for because a lot of people, you know, I mean, I, I go around and I speak about this all the time. I do podcasts, all this other stuff. And, and for me to talk about this is, is no big deal. I, well, it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. It doesn't bother me. And when I started reaching out to the people who were like, the people I definitely wanted to be part of this, uh, there was a lot of, oh, well, what are they going to ask? It's going to depend on what they're going to ask. And um, it, it took some convincing and some reassuring to get people who have, who don't talk about this um some some do more now uh to understand sort of when i here to peel every secret of your life out and put it in the camera we're here to try to help the greater good because this project is bigger than all of us and once they sort of got that people started being more more comfortable and there was definitely some apprehension the day of filming you know for each each person um every day probably at least two of the people being filmed took me aside. I was like, I don't know if I could do this. And it was, 
it took some reassuring and it, it was humbling because for me at this point i don't it doesn't it doesn't phase me i just go and do what i do i talk about what needs to be talked about but other people don't do that and it, it brings you back it brings you back and so it was a challenge but it was a growth it was it was growth for me and uh it was really it was just a great great project to do were you involved on every shoot keith i was there for the entirety of the filming yeah um and then some additional later on we had to do some additional b-roll uh shots that i got to be part of so it was it was a lot of fun i saw on one of the on the website the uh one of the photos of you i think backing up a fire truck you look uh, like you're yeah. 19 or something <laughs> you know i might be 45 i do have the saving grace of looking younger than i really am but yes when i was younger i looked like a baby uh, and there are several pictures uh that people are like what are you like 18 i'm like no i was 25 but uh yeah there's some there's some pretty young photos in the in the in the film so what's your vision and this is to all three of you whoever wants to answer um your vision and your kind of your goal and your hopes for this documentary like what is the what's the overall mission and goal for this i think you know for scott and i um as filmmakers it was i think what you do anytime you you um you know put a, you know, several years of your life into a project, which is you just want to tell a story that's going to connect with people. And, you know, I, I have no doubt this movie will connect with people. Um, at what level, you know, we will see. Um, I, you know, I know it already has. I know that there is an audience, um, you know, lined up ready for it. And I think um, it has a lot of potential to, um, you know, sort of spread through word of mouth. Um, which, you know, not every kind of film or, um, does that. So, um, I think, you know, that's, I think what we're really hoping for is, is for the movie to, to come out. We chose a distribution partner, Gravitas, um, to, um, because they, um, can bring us the widest release. It's on, on October 3rd, it's going to be everywhere you buy rent movies. So, uh, whether that's on iTunes or DirecTV or Redbox or whatever. Um, and, um, you know, I think also, um, you know, we brought on Rob Riggle to narrate it. And, you know, I think Scott and I for a long time thought that we should have someone who was local and from that area. Um, but I think we ended up really falling in love with the idea of Rob because he does have such a broad appeal. And I think, you know, he's the only person to be on both Saturday Night Live and Daily Show. And he's obviously, you know, done all these comedic things like the hangover and, but he's, I think people know him from Holy Moly and from Fox football in the morning and from, uh, you know, he's done some really great drama work in the last few years. And, um, but he's very authentic in that he's a veteran. He does, you know, a lot of charitable work for veterans. And he also in recent years has really started to speak out on, on you know, as an advocate for mental health awareness. And, um, so the authenticity of having Rob on board was really special. And I think that'll help us, um, you know, reach a broader audience as well. Yeah. I would totally agree there. Hopefully people get right away. That's not a cop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's always you're used to seeing Rob and comedy, but uh, yes. no, it's, and I actually, honestly, I tend to, my favorite narrators are, uh, the ones you least expect. And I think, you know, having a voice that you've heard a million times, but you're usually associated with comedy do. Um, you know, do this movie. I, I love that. My first movie, Tommy Lee narrated it and it was such an unexpected choice, but I think it was, you know, I loved it from the very beginning because it just was, um, you know, so perfect. And I, I think Rob does a really great job. And I'm, I'm bummed that the actors are on strike right now because if they weren't, he'd be, he'd be on this podcast right now. And, um, you know, he's just as, as passionate about all of this stuff as we are. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, for me, because of what I do, um, you know, I always, when I said advocate, it was bringing awareness, right? Which I, I truly feel uh, this film shares that, right? That, that it shares the mission of awareness. It brings awareness to a subject that a lot don't talk about. Even though we talk about it more, it's not spoken about as much as people like to think. Uh, but it also sort of brings uh, what can be uh, the beginning of, of, of a change. It's not just awareness because awareness is great, but we, we, we need a change because people are aware that PTSD and suicide is happening, but people are still dying by their own hands. And so with this film, my hope is always that uh, seeing, you know, 14, 15 different people sharing vulnerability on a screen 
um, is going to get people to be able to show vulnerability in their private lives. They don't necessarily have to go on stage and talk about it. They don't got to get in front of a camera and talk about it, but maybe they'll pick up that phone. Maybe they'll call that doctor. Maybe they'll call that therapist, their friend, their mother, whatever it is, and reach out for help. And, and they'll be able to see in real life uh, men and women sharing that vulnerability where they reached out for help and now their lives have gotten better and showing that proof. And so my hope is, uh, you know, that, you know, people out there, first responders or not, uh, will, will find that courage to be able to reach out for help, to be able to change the culture, to be able to change that stigma in society that's like, well, I can't reach out for help because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to actually receive help. I'm not going to receive support. If we can start changing that mentality, people will be more apt to reach out for that help. Oh, I'm like, I, I'm, I'll just add, I mean, obviously what these guys said, but I think if any time you can speak or do something and you can just change or save one person's life, it's all worth it. And I think um, hopefully through this film and these people that speak um, that we can get to people of all ages and um, at least help one person, but hopefully help a lot more to make the greatest decision of their life to ask for help. Beautiful. I'd love to hear from all three of you, uh, maybe one particular story or one particular person that really stood out for you in this and not to single out anyone else, but just something that really resonated with you and really was a powerful moment in the movie. Share a little story about what really resonated, what kind of pulled at your heartstrings. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm pretty close to one of the people who interviewed Brian, uh, Harkins and, uh, we, we run a peer support group down here and, uh, it's a zoom based one down here in Massachusetts and we're pretty close. We know quite a bit of each other's secrets. And during his interview, it was, I was not expecting to see him get as emotional as he did. And I don't want to give away any, any Easter eggs, but, um, it was, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of power behind what they shared, but for me, seeing someone that I had been through quite a bit with in life, uh, share what he did the way he did, uh, it was one of the most powerful moments all that, that, that entire week. So, uh, I still hold on to it. I still kind of make fun of him for it in a, in a brotherly love kind of way. Um, and he's, he has no idea what I'm talking about. Cause you know, he does, but he doesn't, he's not, I don't think he's fully prepared for it, but, uh, it really stood out for me. I think, um, you know, obviously we had, uh, a lot of guys and we, we did have a, a few women in this, but, um, one of the, the subjects, Jesse, she talked about um you know christmas night uh, i'm pretty sure a mm -hmm. car accident um where there was a dead body and you know her i think now ex-husband um was a first responder and you know basically they get out they see he sees what happens gets back in the car like everything like nothing even happened like let's go home celebrate christmas and you know i think they have a little kid in the car and you know you're sitting there and, and you know as we're watching this interview happen you're trying to think Christmas is supposed to be fun and, you know, we get presents and everybody's happy, but what these people, and not only just the first responders, but what their families got, have gone through during the time they were on the force and after, you know, you just, I wasn't aware of, it wasn't just them that their lives were affected. It's, it's everybody living under their roof. It's, um, you know, people at other jobs, like how one person's issues can affect so many others. And, um, hers of many, I mean, I think we could all just rattle off everybody that spoke, mm -hmm. but, um, when you associated Christmas with, you know, a major car accident and her ex gets in the car and like nothing happened, I was like, wow, that's, mm -hmm. I would struggle to give that answer. You know? And I think you bring up a good point about this, this whole documentary might be a huge key to open some doors to the general public about what the fire service and the first responder world's like. Uh, like you talked about the, you talked about the family aspect of things. There's probably a lot of people that really don't understand the fire service or don't understand other first responder agencies and how they operate and the things they see on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah, I think yeah, it's far yeah, greater yeah. than first responder world. I think this is going to be for the yeah, general that, public. That was really eye opening for me. I never really thought about sort of the, um, systemic um, element to um, to all of this, and that you know uh, the a common theme between everyone we interviewed was that um, you know their father uh, was you know a first responder, and 
um, never brought anything home, never talked about it. His father was the same way. Um, then they went to the military and the first thing they said in the military was leave this all here. Don't bring this home. Don't talk about it with anyone. And, um, you know, so, you know, as much as even you may realize that you want to talk about it or you should talk about it, it's just, you know, like, you know, in you and everything you've, you've, you've gone through in your whole lives for a lot of these people whose, whose families were also first responders to do what they did to hold it in. So yeah, that, that was definitely probably the, the most educational part of it for me that I, that I didn't realize. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, um, it's just not something that, that, that people think about, especially us here in Hollywood. It's like, you know, there's no like family chain of, of, of characteristics that's passed along in our careers in the same way that there are here. And, um, yeah, that was really, that was a really eye-opening thing to see. Was there any other stories, um, Corey, that you want to talk about? I mean, you know, it's, it's impossible to single, single them out for me. They were all so powerful and you know, my interview style is to have conversations. I don't write questions down, freaks people out. I've been doing, I went to journalism school. I've been interviewing people since I was a teenager, um, interviewed huge celebrities and, and I never, I, I have conversations. And, um, so I look back on them all and, and, and I feel like they were just, you know, beautiful conversations with new friends and, um, you know, I guess, you know, I will, I will just, um, uh, single out Keith in the sense that he had, um, you know, we had him on camera for the longest, um, we had him on camera a few times and he had to really dig into, uh, a lot, um, you know, Keith's gone through some things in his life, um, that weren't necessarily exactly connected to being a first responder, but we felt like we had to tell in this documentary because you don't know Keith if you don't know these stories, the, the death of his first wife and the near death of his second wife. And, um, so, you know, Keith opening up to Scott and I about those and, and, um, just, you know, those, those were, those were, you know, not easy for him to do. And I, and I'll, you know, I'll forever be grateful for, for him to, to open up. And, um, I think it really helps you connect with, with Keith in this movie, even though maybe they're not necessarily about being a first responder. I asked this in all my interviews. What's one question that I did not ask you yet that you wish I asked you? It's always a tough one. And and I will say this, Arjun, and you'll you'll get this and, and Corey and Scott were there, so they got the experience that going back to the part where we had that big sit down dinner uh, on one of the days of filming, that is crucial. And it's very it mirrors the first responder life, especially the firehouse life, where we go through a bunch of shit during the day. We do our tour and a bunch of bad stuff happens, or we get very emotional and we do our, what we have to do but at the end of the day or or the or you know, dinner time, whatever, we sit down and we eat, right? We all sit down at that table as a family, and that's what we did. That was an incredibly, that day in particular was an incredibly taxing day on several people. And um, we all sat down. There was a lot of us, families, spouses, children, um, and all of us involved in production. And, you know, we all sat down just like at the firehouse, and we broke bread. We laughed. We busted balls. And, you know, it was very reminiscent. It was so appropriate for what we were doing. And that's a real big takeaway from this. And I told Scott and Corey, I go, this is, this is big. This is big. You sat down with these people and broke bread. This is, this is huge. You've gained trust. And, yeah. um, that was great. It was, it was one of the yeah. biggest takeaways. Yeah. Probably a life-changing moment for both Scott and Corey. Yeah? Really was. Yeah. One question that you could ask is, uh, I'll put, put my producer hat on, which is what can people do to help this movie? Fantastic. Okay. And the answer would be, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like a movie like this, um, you know, finds an audience through word of mouth. So, um, you know, I know for me, uh, I see a movie that I love and I just go straight to social media and, oh my God, Oppenheimer blew my mind, whatever it might be. Um, I highly encourage that and, you know, tag our movie. We're first responders in crisis on Instagram and Facebook and as of today, we're on TikTok now as well. 
Um, but I would say, um, even more importantly, like, um, you know, movies, small independent movies now, um, much like, uh, movies that come out in the theaters, uh, it's all really about like kind of opening weekend. So if, if we can, you know, find a big audience for that opening weekend, then it's going to just, um, you know, uh, steamroll into, into a big release. So. Uh, you know, if you're passionate about the same stuff as we've talked about on this, on this podcast, and if you're here, you probably are. And, it, uh, and if you like the movie, and hopefully you do, uh, you know, we would love for, for anyone to help us just, you know, especially in that first week of October to spread the word and, and hopefully we can, we can build a, a, a big audience. Fantastic. And the, there will be one public showing uh, back home in Keystown. Is there any other public showings? or We're going to do one here in L.A. It's um, at the Awareness Film Festival. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to do a, um, a festival screening as well because um, you get a lot of uh, just um, fans of film, uh, fans of documentaries. So I'm excited. I think, you know, as Keith mentioned, um, you know, the screening that we're doing in Townsend, um, and I'm, you know, it, it might sound odd to screen it at a, uh, high school, but it's the biggest theater we could find. And that's, that's why we're there. And I think, um, you know, that's a gift to everybody who, uh, in that town who gave us their stories and their time and, and, and for them to get to see it in a room, which is always a really special experience and, and also to, you know, show all of the, um, you know, people in that community, what we made and, um, and then the screening we'll do in LA will be a little bit more of, of something different, which would be an opportunity for, um, you know, maybe people outside the first responder community to get an opportunity to see what we did with this documentary. I, you know, I watched a ton of documentaries, Scott watched a ton of documentaries. We both make other documentaries and, um, you know, this one's unique. It's not, um, super flashy with you know, um, all kinds of animations and things like that. It's just got a, um, it's just got heart in it from the very, very, very beginning. The movie opens with, um, Keith's story of the first time he, uh, had a fatality, uh, at a fire when he was only 18 or not even 18 yet, I think. And, um, you know, so there's just, there's just no, there's no very few movies like that. And, um, so I'm excited for you know, anyone who just is curious about, you know, documentaries to, to, to watch this as well. Very cool. A right, quick question back to Keith, uh, how much of an impact did this have on your community coming in with producers and everything did any impact there, or was it kind of tightly knit just in the fire service? The, uh, yeah. Producers coming into town and there must oh, be yeah. buzz, uh, buzz through town. It's, uh, it brought lots of business to those places. Scott yeah. and I, uh, you know, Scott made sure to show me all of the, uh, uh, you know, all the fine food in town. And so that was, that was awesome. The fine food. Yeah. 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 There must've been a buzz going around town about this. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. I th I think it was, it was definitely kind of cool, especially at one of the uh, locations we filmed one of the like long standing restaurants we did, you know, one day of shooting at, uh, it was, it was definitely really cool. And there was definitely sort of a buzz felt throughout the town. And, uh, during this time I had gotten some phone calls from people being like, Oh, Hey, you know, I heard you were in town, you know, shooting a movie. That's kind of cool. And, uh, that kind of that kind of hits you in a way that, um, especially given the subject matter of the film, uh, doesn't you're not used to, and uh, so it was definitely definitely very cool. Yeah. Have you Scott anything? Um. Yeah. I mean, really, just what what those guys said. I mean, any any time you can go back, um, you know, obviously living in L.A., you know, it's it's quite a distance from Townsend. Um, so to get to go back, um, we actually we Keith was saying one of the restaurants. Um, I was walking out to grab something from the car and all of a sudden car drives by, you know, and it's probably like 1030 in the morning. I look at the person, they, you know, drive a little bit and then they pull back and it's my fourth grade teacher she puts in reverse, you know, so just, you know, puts life in perspective of small town America that literally right time, right place. All of a sudden there's my fourth grade teacher that I haven't seen in years. You know, we have a, a catch up moment in the parking lot of, of the Townsend House <laughs> restaurant just made it that much more enjoyable but um you know obviously i love where i'm from um wouldn't change where i grew up and anytime you can go back and do something there um it's great i'm looking forward to go back 
you know, to the screening on that Wednesday. I'm looking forward to going to the high school football game on Friday, then flying back to LA on Saturday. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, it's been a real treat to get to know all, all three of you. And I'm, I'm super stoked to see this, this movie come to fruition and get into the hands of, like you said, millions around the world about mental health and the world of first responders. How can people, you mentioned it a couple of times, how people can watch this, but maybe just a quick recap where they can find it, where they can watch it, uh, where they can follow you on social and any other little last minute nuggets on maybe a trailer or anything like that that we can add. Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. We're first responders in crisis on all of those platforms um, that you'll get all the information that you need as far as where to find it and things like that. The screenings that we're going to be doing both on, in New England and back here in L.A. And then on October 3rd, um, there it will be anywhere you can buy or rent movies. So uh, I think the biggest ones are iTunes and Amazon, but um, there's you know dozens of others as well. So um, and I believe that um, I'm going to break some news on your podcast that on um, September 27th they're going to do a um, I think it might be iTunes exclusively, but they're going to do a uh, a weekend pre-sale discount um, where I think you can buy the movie for like five ninety nine or something like that. So um you know follow the socials and you can get that information but um yeah we're we're um really excited to be coming or coming have it coming up so close fantastic yeah all that will be in the in the show notes for everyone to to watch as well thank you and thank you again for having us um it's amazing that what what you're you know out here doing with your podcast and um we're happy to you know be a part of it i appreciate it likewise likewise all right, Keith, one last message to every, our, all our listeners. What's it? One last message. Could be anything uh, you want. Always a pressure at the end of the show. Um, I always tell people to try to find strength in trauma. And, you know, it's not to always bring this back to it, but there is this growth in this. And uh, like I said earlier, a lot of the people involved in this project have had massive growth since being part of this project. And uh, it's because a lot of us faced uh, our trauma. And so finding strength in trauma is huge. Well, it makes us more resilient. Absolutely. Yeah. Scott, what message for you? Pick up the phone and ask for help. Yep. Amen. So true. So true. Yep. Thank you. Finish off with Corey. I, I'm really surprised that Scott didn't say win your mind, win your Frida. I know. That's oh, yeah. Hold on. We got that. I mean, oh, there we go. Oh, you got it on a t shirt, even. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so, but yeah, no, we'll, is yeah, that that, but that's true. Ah, mine is when you're mine, when you're freedom. Yeah, but what's not to have somebody pick up the phone and talk about their mind because you can't yes. win your mind and win your freedom if you don't have your life. So I like it. I like True, it. Man. I like it. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate and, it, guys. Uh, yep. Yeah, very looking forward to uh, seeing this released. So awesome. thank thanks, you. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for tuning in to Beneath the Helmet. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable insights into the world of firefighters' health and wellness. Remember, caring for your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being is crucial to achieving optimal performance. Join us next time on Beneath the Helmet for more inspiring conversations. Until then, stay well. <laughs>